we're starting a series this morning on Psalms. And what's so interesting about the Psalms is that I think all of us who have background in the church have been exposed to the Psalms for a very long time. We know we're kind of told it's, it's Scripture, it's part of the Bible, and you're a Christian, so we read them. We, we, uh, we make songs out of them. We, uh, I don't even know what to say about the Psalms. It's just like one of those things that's always around, but you never really know what it's for. How about that? When you first start to drive your car, there's a red button. has a triangle. The odds are when you first start to drive, you didn't exactly know what that button was for. Okay, just a little more interaction. Who knew what that red button was for the first time that you drove a car? Raise your hand. Thank you. A little honesty. Who knows what it's for now? Okay, there you go. Now, what's interesting about that little button, okay, is that you might not know what it's for, or you might get the concept, but you don't really get that button until you need to push it, right? Until you are in an emergency, until you need everyone around you to know something is not right, and then you push the button, right? Uh, we had this one time uh, heading down the Dallas with the kid. Uh, I said the kid because we only had one at the time. And we're driving down, and we had this, this whole trip planned out. We're going to get here and do this and do that and do that. And, and, and about halfway through in Oklahoma, of course, whatever happens, happens, right? The tire blows out, and it was awful. It was terrible. It was the first time we actually had to use that button, had to, had to push that button. And that entire day was messed up. You know, because it was a tire, and then I had to put a spare on the, on the tire. And then I realized, like, when I had to get the spare tire out of the back, that it was rusted because water was there. I'm not sure if you guys have ever experienced this before. There's a spare tire and water. Have you ever tried to get that out? No one has ever experienced this. Okay. So what happens is, if there's water and metal, what happens? Rust. Yes, thank you. Okay. So it's rusted. So I'm trying to get it out, and it's in water, so I can't see what I'm doing. Trying to get these rusted bolts out. Of course, the, you're on the highway. So everyone's driving past you. These lights are supposed to say something, right? These, these hazard lights are supposed to tell people, stay away from them. Or, hey, guess what? You could even help, you know. But that's not what people are going to do, of course. And so, and so in this entire process, you know, I get it out. I get it on. We drive to the Walmart. It's in the middle of Oklahoma. That's all I need to say. We end up there for four hours. That's where we spent the, the first day of this vacation in this place. And it set our trip up so well that we ended... Oh, that's a long story. Basically, the last day of our trip in Dallas, we ended up in this motel where you're, you're walking down the hallways and the lights are flickering. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. It was that kind of trip. It, it, it was uh, a truly amazing trip. And that kind of set the whole thing up. And this, this, my friends, is what the Psalms are about. You, don't, <laughs> you do not understand what they're there for until you need them. Okay? Um, what's interesting about the Psalms is that... When we think about the Psalms, we, we often pair them with Proverbs, okay? Have you ever thought that Psalms and Proverbs kind of just like mesh? Okay, they have nothing, nothing in common. Okay, think about the Proverbs. It's always talking about these, these wise sayings of how the world works, correct? And everything seems to make sense in Proverbs, right? And, and so the wise man does this, and because the wise man makes wise actions, good things happen to the wise man, correct? Okay, so the righteous man does this, and he stays away from wine and drunkenness, and he is blessed. But the fool goes to wine and drinks, and he is cursed. It all makes sense, right? 
That's where the world is ordered and clean and everything is black and white. What do the Psalms say? Why have the wicked have all the wealth and the righteous suffer? How come those who sleep with prostitutes have everything they want and those who who try to stay faithful to Yahweh have nothing? How come the good guy gets the short end of the stick? And, And how come the bad guy is the one who gets what they want? And how come the person who does all the Proverbs, does everything right, gets fill in the blank? And the person who doesn't care about God at all and does everything the wrong way, everything works out well for them. See, the Proverbs are written in this place in life where everything is as you were told it was. The world makes sense. This is up, this is down, this is right and left, and here's God, and He is good, and if I please Him, then He blesses me, and, and, and here's bad things, don't touch them, stay away. And This is what life is like when you are a child, correct? Everything is ordered, everything makes sense, everything is fair, right? What's with that word fair? Like with Jude, he gets... He gets livid with me if something is not fair. I mean, he will just... Because, Dad, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not fair. And so each time in life that Jude experiences that life isn't fair, he's faced with this reality. That I thought the world was this way. But my experience is telling me that the world is not that way. I was told the world makes sense and the world is clean and nice and orderly and logical and that God is in control of this world. But experience tells me the opposite. What you have to understand is this, is that the Proverbs are made for those of us who are still in very clean, logical comfortable places in life. But the Psalms are not for those people. The Psalms are for people who are tasting and experiencing that life is not fair, and that God is not doing the things that we were told He was supposed to do, that the world doesn't work the way it was supposed to to work, that things aren't the way that we were told they're supposed to be. There's a quote I want to read to you real quick. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, he is the foremost... Old Testament scholar, and he is an interesting old man. I love the guy. He's very quirky, but he has this quote about the Psalms. I love this. He says, most of the Psalms can only be appropriately prayed by people who are living at the edge of their lives, sensitive to the raw hurts, the primitive passions, and the naive elations that are at the bottom of our life. That's a mouthful, I know, okay? It would take time to kind of sit and chew on it. But there's something about what he's saying. He's saying that there, to get the Psalms, it takes you being in a raw, real place, right? Whenever I was first growing up, I remember the church was, was a place I didn't really like very much. I didn't really, 
appreciate the church very much because there always seemed to be this, this like veneer of plastic, correct? Anybody? So like the pastor would meet you at the door on the way out and he would shake your hand. You guys like, you do that. <laughs> yes, I do, and it hurts every Sunday. No. Um, <clears throat> yes, you know, it's this concept that, you know, we all dress a certain way that we don't dress throughout the week, right? We all, we, we, we say things we don't say anywhere else. We, uh, we sing things, we do actions, we do all these things that just seem to be kind of motions that are empty. Um, and I always had an issue with that. I've always been suspicious of like the lack of honesty in churches. But what happened for me was, as I grew up, I began to realize it wasn't just in churches that we have this, this lack of honesty. I realized that it's, it's culture as a whole here in the West. We have a culture that it creates a sense of the real, but that real isn't real at all, right? It's, it is this, I used to think that we only dressed up for church, correct? But Instagram has told us otherwise, right? Yes, okay, okay. Uh, I used to think that we only, you know, faked nice at church, and then I found out what it's like to go shopping at Walmart, Right? Come on, be honest. Yes, you're at Walmart, you're an adult, you have kids, and then you still got to stop in the waves. Hey, how you doing? When your kids are going nuts and you want to slap them, correct? It's, it's niceties, correct? It's not real. You don't, you don't really care enough to, you know, to, to be nice, but you know that you need to be nice. For example, when you come to the checkout and they say, hi, how are you? <laughs> what could you say? You could say many things, right? But if you choose to be real and honest, what's going to happen? Okay, one, this poor lady is going to have her, her, you know, her life ruined because I'm going to vomit all over her, right? Secondly, there's going to be a line which begins to form behind me, so I'll have an audience. Third, <clears throat> as I'm doing this, as I'm you know, unloading all of this emotion and frustration and angst, what's going to happen is I'm going to be late, because I've got somewhere to go, correct? And so I don't have the time to be real, to be honest. See, what happens is we have a culture that it tells us we cannot get life done and be real. It's impossible. For example, those of you guys who own a business, are you honest with your customers? <laughs> I should pick, I should pick. When someone has a complaint, are you going to, to tell them what you really think of their opinion? Arlie? Huh? Come on. Come on. I mean, just, just come on. Be honest. No, you're, of course you're not. To, to do business, to make money means in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to have to lie a little bit. Oh, it's so good to see you, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Are you really glad to see so-and-so? Absolutely not. Okay, you've got the concept. In order for us to have a church service, there has to be a form of fake, correct? For example, when I walked up this morning, hi, how are you guys doing? Good morning. If you chose to take me up on that offer and every one of you chose to start vomiting, yelling, screaming at me about how terrible this week has been, could we do church service? Absolutely not. It, it, it doesn't work, right? We, we, to to keep this ball of motion moving, we all have to kind of learn to just kind of take ourselves and hide it. 
right? And so what happens with us is we have this, this world, this system, where everywhere you go, you are told in different ways to be somebody different. You are told to feel different things, to desire different things, to say different things, okay? So, in essence, you are being formed into all of these different people in every different place you go. You are not the same person in this room as you are at work. You're not the same person at work as you are at home. You're not the same person with your spouse as you are with your kids. You get the concept. It continues to fold. Each one of you is having to, to keep up different personas all over your lives. And you're having to do that for one reason. Because you cannot be all yourself all the time. Right? What would your life look like if you were all yourself all the time? Come on, just kind of picture it. What would your life look like if you were all yourself all the time? Now, the shame of this is that what takes place inside of us, when you begin to learn how to hide who you are, what happens when you're trying to be close, be intimate with someone else? For example, in a friendship or in a marriage, when you are trying to to give yourself to someone, to, to be fully present, to put the walls down. How can you even be present with that person in that moment if you've got so much of yourself hidden so many different places? Take a step beyond that. How can you be expected to be intimate, honest, real with God, with this person who you cannot see, you cannot touch, you cannot relate to in the way that you relate to other humans. How can you possibly bring all of yourself into that relationship? This is what we're left with. We're left with partial relationships. We're left with the fact that at work, these people get to connect to this small chunk of me. And at church, these people get to connect to this small piece of me. And with my children, they get to connect to this small part of me because Lord knows I can't be all myself with my children. Okay? And even with my spouse, I can only connect. They get this part of me because I know they can't handle all of me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, some honesty. So what's a natural correlation going to be when you begin to come to God. You're only going to bring that certain portion of you that you believe that, that this God wants. You're going to bring the Proverbs side of you, right? The Songs of Solomon side. Everything is great. Everything is enjoyable. I love you. I'm sorry if I did these things. Blah, 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 blah. What you need to bring is some Ecclesiastes into your relationship with Jesus, right? Life is pointing, pointless, endless, nothing matters. Everything has no meaning in this world. You guys haven't read Ecclesiastes much, have you? All you Songs of Solomon fans need to read some Ecclesiastes. The Psalms, they're challenging for us. Okay, for close to a thousand years, Christians have been praying the daily offices, meaning there are these times of the day where Christians pray, and there are things that we pray. And in this time that we pray, there are some scriptures um, that we read. And so twice a day, millions of Christians 
read two segments of the Psalms every day, all year. The idea is in three years, you go through all the Psalms. And so millions of Christians, twice a day, have to stop their day to read the Psalms. Have you ever tried to randomly just like pick up the Psalms and read them? Come on, hands. Okay. What does it feel like when you do that? Come on, anybody who has a mouth, an opinion, air in their lungs. It feels what? What? Lee? Choppy. Oh, yeah. Sure, choppy. Disconnected. Anybody else? Come on. <laughs> good, bad, good, bad. Oh, that, that's a great way to read it right there. That's, all. that's awesome. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, you're, you drop the kids off at school, you pull over, you have your you know, devotional time, and you're reading, and you've got work, and you've got the Texas person back, and then David goes, and Lord, your faithfulness allows me to bathe in the blood of my enemies. I will trample their skulls. I will bash their children on the rocks. Amen? Uh, what do you say to that, right? I mean, I mean, how do you respond to the Psalms? You go, I, I don't know what to do with that. What happens to the Psalms, at, at a young age I realized that, that the Psalms are not where I go for good theology, meaning the, the, the Psalms don't teach me a whole lot about who God is. But as I got older, I realized the Psalms teach me an awful lot about who I am, what I really want. If I were being fully honest in the moment, the way that David is in certain one of these Psalms, like, what would I really ask for? What would I really ask to happen to my enemies? What? Okay. I'm not sure if you guys are ready for this series yet. Here's what we're going to do. If you can bring back up the Psalm for me. I want to read this a little slower. See, there's something about the Psalms. It just doesn't fit. It do you can't read it the way that you read the epistles. It doesn't work that way. You can't read it as this letter, as this, this greeting, as instructions, as right or wrong, do's or don'ts. You have to put yourself in it. It takes imagination. Um, with the daily offices for me, it's been such a struggle to read the Psalms lately because I'm trying to let them grip me. But the problem is I don't have time to let them grip me. Right? Like, I don't have time to put myself in this place to allow my emotions to be moved by things. But this is what the Psalms offer us. Okay, Psalm 51. If you guys didn't see the heading, it's important to see the heading. And it says this, A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him just after he had slept with Bathsheba. So right there, this, to connect to this Psalm, you need to put yourself into this moment, right? This is a moment uh, full of passions and fear and shame and anger and uh, defensiveness. He has just been caught red-handed. And so in this moment, he is feeling what's going to come down, and he's thinking about the repercussions. He knows the way that God's going to react to him. He knows the way he shamed his family, his nation. Um, at the same time, he is fresh. I mean, he is fresh from her bed. I'll just allow your imagination to go there. Have mercy on me. Hmm.
You feel that? It's so different. Have mercy on me. And, and he says, and he says, and he says, according to who I know that you are. When he says things like your, your faithful love, what he's saying is, in the way that you forgive me before, please don't let this one be too big. Wipe it away. I mean, just allow yourself to sit here. In those moments when you have completely failed, you feel it. Your cry is, could I just undo it? Could we just... And so in this moment, he's feeling it. He's feeling, again, the weight of what has happened. And his cry is, can we just... Can we just start over? Can we just act as if it never happened? Can you wash me completely clean of my guilt? Purify me from my sin. The exclamation marks, the semicolons, these are all there for a reason. It's trying to, to bring you into what he's, he's... He is yelling this, which I'm not going to yell this morning, but you get it. He's pausing because I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always in front of me. See, it's, there's something about, about sin. When you have actually, when you know it, when you, you feel it, you don't need someone to tell you that you've sinned because it, it, it is, if you can just sense it. When you have failed in this way, when you have let people down, when you have hurt people in this kind of a very, real way. You cannot think of anything else. It's, it's, it's all that you can see and feel. You can't get away from it. And if you notice, he goes on in verse 5, and I don't have time to read through all of this, but he does the same thing all of us do. Once he gets to verse 5, he begins to kind of he begins to, to really put out there how he sees himself. Yes, I was born in guilt and sin from the moment that my mother conceived me. This is not some kind of theological treatise on, on you know, how we're all born sinful. He is expressing how he sees himself. Who am I compared to you? Who am I when I look at what I have done? This is who I see in the mirror. The same way that, that we do to ourselves. In verse 6, And yes, you want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. This is what we're talking about this morning. How we get to this space, and that word is terrific there, in verse 6, to the secret space. How we get to this space with God where we're absolutely honest with God. And so, if we've been in environments, church, culture, business, whatever, at home, where we're always being taught how to, to take our humanness, humanity, and to, to push it down, 
our feelings, our emotions, our, our thoughts, our, our experience. And we're always being taught to compress this. There has to be a safe space, a place where we can let this out, where we can uh, be real, be raw in that moment. And so what the Psalms offer us, the Psalms offer to put words to what's already inside of us. The Psalms offer to give us uh, approval, meaning it's almost like give us permission to be honest. I know for a long time, it wasn't that I was afraid to say these things to God. It's just I wanted to know that God wanted me to be honest, that God desired me to be real and to be transparent and to be raw in that moment. So this morning is a short Sunday. We had some other things to do today. But as we go into this series, we're going to unpack each layer of what the Psalms do for us. But the first one is just this. The Psalms teach us to be honest. Without honesty, uh, it is impossible for us to actually have intimacy. And the best thing we see in the Psalms is this. We see in the Psalms that this raw place of honesty, it always brings us to expression. Meaning, when you learn to be honest with yourself, Think back to the moment in your life where you felt the most intense emotion, good or bad. Just find it. A moment where you felt such intense emotion you couldn't even think your feelings through. You couldn't even uh, think through what it was that you wanted to say. You just felt it. When you allow your emotions, your honesty to build to this place, what always comes out is honest expression, meaning you cannot keep it in. It has to get out. And the biggest uh, shame in the church is that we have trained people in such a way to where we never say a word to God. We never share the honest anger or questions or struggle or feelings or joy with God because we are always too afraid of God. And so the first thing the Psalms want to do for us this morning is to tell us that... What, uh, what matters most is saying it, is, is putting words to what it is that we're feeling. 